I have done a bit of homework. You've done homework? Homework? You never do homework. Yeah, I've done it this week. Um, I've done what I like to consider some in-depth research. Uh, so that I could come to today's podcast preps. And I have compiled a list of things that are more punk than CD Projekt Red is right now. Oh, I'm I'm, I'm ready for this. I'm ready for this. Punk music. Yep. Punks. Spider punk. Punky Brewster. (laughs) Steampunk. All other works in the cyberpunk genre. (laughs) Clock punk. Stone punk. Deco punk. Biopunk. Post cyberpunk. (laughs) Nanopunk. The Witcher 2. Spreadable cheese. (laughs) Russell Brand. Corey Feldman. Richard E. Grant, of course. Doritos 3Ds. Croc Legend of the Gobbos. The Concept of a Monarchy. Stratos from Masters of the Universe. And an egg. That's what I've got so far. <laughs> I'd also like to throw in Walter Mondale. Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, okay. And while I'm at it, uh, Margaret Thatcher. Yep. Also more <laughs> punk than CDPR. Good. Good. Oh, All right. That is a conclusive list right there. That is everything that is more punk. Yeah, yeah. Like, like <laughs> obviously, we're going to be talking about CD Projekt Red and Cyberpunk and whatnot this week. Laura compiles, like, news and stuff and events and, and the games we've been playing so that um, she has a good uh, idea of where to keep the uh, podcast going. You know, how to take it, where to take yeah. it uh, on our wonderful journey through the world of chat. But, but, CDPR is. Is so punk right now. Yeah. The list you just compiled is already out of date because there's a new thing. Is this the thing that Conrad was going to talk about about the dildos? No. Oh. No. Okay. I'm okay. I'm curious what this thing is. I might not have mentioned this uh, to Jim. <laughs> yeah. Yet it it was sent to m- so so my girlfriend sent me this story about. You know how sometimes when you're, like, you know, creating assets in a game to be sort of spawned into environments and, uh, you know, sometimes there's an imbalance and something gets over-spawned? Yeah. Dildos are being over-spawned in Cyberpunk, 20, <laughs> Cyberpunk 2077. There are too many dildos in the environment. Now that's punk. Yeah, right? Yeah. Right? That is. Having, having thousands of dildos is pretty punk. Not when Cyberpunk does it, but generally it would be pretty punk. Do you know what else is pretty punk? What? Acquiescing to the whims of the Chinese government. Oh! Such as, for example, you remember that game Devotion? Mm. Oh, yes, yes. That was pulled because it offended Xi Jinping. Yeah. It was announced for good old games, and then CDPR being very punk and being, you know, oh, let's, let's publish, uh, let, let's list posts for our shot. Let's do all the postal games because we're so hardcore and edgy, right, gamers? Um, oh, wait a minute. Sorry. Sorry. Devotion might upset some people because of the Winnie the Pooh shit. We'll delist that right away. So they've, they're not, they're not set. It's very punk. I do want to go back to the dildos for just a second. <laughs> okay. Rock, paper, shotgun has a story on this. Um, and I want, cause I, I, I want to lay out the explanations. Cause you know, the first one is, you know, the first one I'm going to bring up is the one I mentioned earlier. There's a quote here from senior quest designer, Philip Weber. The second reason for the high amount of dildos in the world is because they can spawn as random loot. And we were still tweaking those settings so especially during the early reviews the amount of dildos in the game world was pretty high okay fine but that's the second reason here's the first reason (laughs) the team wanted night city to be quote pretty open sexually Mm -hmm. 
and a place where, quote, something by today's standards might be taboo or kinky is very normal and commonplace by 2077 standards. Now, first of all, let's set aside the fact that this is what they came up with that might be taboo or kinky. Yeah, they think dildos are like on the fringe of sexuality for them. (laughs) Now that's punk. I mean, he just shows you where video games are, right? The thing about this, though, is this is the same fucking explanation they gave as to why, like, here's the fetishistic trans posters throughout the game. It's like, and and here's the thing. It's not great to be like, ah, yes, the same line of reasoning that got us a billion dildos is why we put trans people on these posters. And and made that the only real representation as well. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's where video games are. That is kink city for them, is, oh, there's a bunch of dildos. What's more punk than a bunch of dildos and cowering to the Chinese government? Right? See, CD Project Red, you absolute punks. Dildos are my fucking brunch, kids. <laughs> oh, I have a I have a bunch of tiny ones that were given to me once from a sponsor on Pixel Squirt, and I'm like, just put them in a bowl, eat them like cereal. Exactly. And nothing. Exactly. You know, I when the. <laughs> Legit, when, when someone is over here for, like, maintenance or professional reasons, I have to hide so many cocks. <laughs> Not all of them for sticking up here. There's soap. There's, of course, the big penetrator dildo bat. Yeah. Some of them are just, you know, for a laugh. They're just decorative dildos, you know, much like the ones in Cyberpunk. Yeah, it looks incredibly edgy and punk in here when I've left my dildos lying around. I feel, I feel like I'm part of Night City itself. All the ones in the game seem to be very bog standard. Where's the one as big as your arm right you know where's the adventurous one get, get belladonna's <laughs> bitch fist in there let's have some bad dragon dildos eh? yeah they got them fucking like big giant werewolf <laughs> cock with with real feel cum lube where's the real feel cum lube project red replica human penises are far from the kinkiest thing you could have come up with yeah let's get punk right let's have one <laughs> of them ones that lay eggs in people you ever seen one of them oh the obvious the ovipositor ones, yeah, with the gelatin eggs. Yeah. Yep. That's punk, genuinely. I've been saying that sarcastically all week, but that is. Do an oviposter. Yeah. I can think of some punk sex stuff, more punk than a dildo. But dildo's like very vanilla. How is that punk? It's a dildo. <laughs> dildos are like, my God. It's like someone says, what, do you like Franz Ferdinand? And they say, yeah, I like Take Me Out. Like, yeah, it's entry level. To be honest, it's the only one of their songs that I really listen to as well. But, you know, anyone else who, who does it is a fucking, f- fucking elementary school poser. <laughs> Dildos are the take me out of cake. <laughs> uh, I tell you, I tell you who that, that line makes sense to, right? Right. Me and the one person I would constantly piss off going on about Franz Ferdinand's Take Me Out. So that's punk. Coming onto a podcast, right? Yeah. And talking about things that only amuse you and literally no <laughs> one listening. That is legitimately pretty punk. I'm so fucking punk. I can't stand it. Yeah. I actually can't take how punk I am. Sometimes I feel like I'm going to shit. Well, I mean, taking a shit is pretty punk. <laughs> well, you know. I mean, just ask Gigi Allen. 
Actually, nobody should ask Gigi Allen anything. <laughs> like, where do you think it went, the phrase when the shit hit the fan comes from? Someone who was very punk, that's who. Hot dumps and neon nights. That's my cyberpunk game. Do we want to get the other CD Projekt Red stories out, out the way while we're here in CD Projekt Red Town? Might as well. It's been one long ongoing farce. The way in which CDPR has managed to completely torch its red. Oh. And, and CDPR will be able to say enough, like, crowd pleasy things in time to recover from this, I would imagine. But this speaks volumes about what a company behaves like when it thinks it's got infinite goodwill, when it thinks it's won over other gamers so much that they'll roll over for anything. In many cases, that's true. But the problem with bugs, as I said on this week's Jimquisition, (laughs) is that it will fuck your game up even if you're white or a guy. So now it's a problem. And now CD Projekt Red can't put a step forward because once you've broken the dam on the goodwill everything else becomes fair game yeah because now the gamers are pissed and will like enjoy anything and i've got to admit it i am also as someone who has watched cdpr flagrantly be the epitome of the entitled smug we've already won publisher i must admit Having seen that this year and called it out all year and, and been one of several, myself included, Laura, who've been sort of had shit thrown at us all year for it. I will admit there is satisfaction in watching CDPR just immolate its reputation in a matter of days. Can I just say, it's been a wild week because when we recorded last week's episode, we were basically at the point in the hype cycle where the reviews had come out, most of them had been pretty overwhelmingly positive, all the reviews had happened on PC, no console code had gone out, and everyone was like having a go at even the most minor of criticism, or not even criticism, like you pointed out a thing that is factual about the game. And then the game released, and... It's a bug-riddled mess at the best of times, this game, it seems. More so on last-gen consoles. It seems like CDPR very deliberately didn't show off code for the PS4 and Xbox One versions of the game before release day, because they are in a terrible state. Yeah, I'm going to have to say that CD Projekt Red, in my professional opinion, and also, in fact lied yeah. to the gamers that, that it's so pro, to the customers that it's so, you know, behind. It actually lied when people from CD Projekt Red said that, you know, the console versions, the last-gen versions are looking real, real good. You know, when you mislead a customer base to the point where you've got to offer refunds because you can't defend it, and where you're issuing statements where you you have to admit that you were not taking your problems seriously. Um, Basically, all of that amounts, my friends, to a lie. So here's, like, the situation. CD Projekt Red's statement as to the state of these games is, oh, well, we genuinely believed that they were going to be perfect and ready and fault-free by launch day, and that's why we didn't show you them, because we were trying to get them ready. We needed the extra time to finish it. We didn't want to show you it broken if we were going to have it fixed in time. But... Uh, they didn't. Now it's going to be ready in January, probably. Yeah, yeah, probably shouldn't have released it based 
on a lie. So the state of the game, I very much believe personally that it was deliberately hidden because they knew it was going to be like this. But I would say that the PS4 and Xbox One versions of Cyberpunk are currently worse than the Switch version of The Witcher 3, which is impressive. There are impressive bugs with character models looking like they're from the N64 for a while. Mm. It'll take a good 30 seconds to work out what fucking character model they're meant to be and complete like game crashing bugs all over the place. Yeah, Justin did a, a compilation of a bunch for, yeah. for the video on Monday. It was quite a thing to watch. People with NPCs with guns jammed in their heads, player characters and vehicles flying in the sky. I saw one where someone just stood at a road junction and every single car, like NPC driven car that came round, uh, crashed into the same wall and shouted at the player character as if they'd hit them with their car. Wow. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. There's some there's some wild ones in there. Yeah. I've seen T-poses everywhere, you know, T-posing characters all over the place. Oh, lots of, lots of T-poses, yeah. NPCs just crossing the road back and forth and more more NPCs that join in the procession. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it's wacky and they did lie because if you like keep telling everyone that this version's like good and then don't tell anyone that it isn't, then you're selling it based on a lie. They have to do these refunds because they know that they that this is dishonest shit. So let's get to the refund situation because that's a whole thing of its own. Yeah. This is the fucking nylon bag territory. Like, we really are there already. We're at Bethesda's Fallout 76 fuck-ups. Yeah. So the game had been out a few days and the fervour against the bugs and the glitches was starting to get pretty intense. Um, This was about the same point in the week that you started to see Reddit threads pop up that were like, oh, maybe that reviewer who I was shouting at and telling that she didn't know video games, maybe she was right and the game is bad. <laughs> you know, we'd reached about that point in the week. I'd love to see some fucking apologies going round. Uh, not directly to the person. They'll apologise about them. No, that's what I mean, though. I would love to. I would love to see some of these people actually say, "Sorry, not just for doing that and being wrong, but doing it in the first place, and also being a world class fucking dickhead." Yeah. So at about this point, a few days post launch, CD Projekt Red puts up a, a, a statement, and it basically goes, "Hey, we understand. We're working on the game. We're sorry. It, we should have shown you this version before release." Yeah. That's, you know, we fucked up. We hope that you'll stick around until January when we fix the game. But if not, if you want a refund, 100%, we will make sure you get refunds. Take it back to the shop or ask for a digital refund. You'll, 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 we'll, you'll, de- you'll get a refund for this. Don't worry about it. What an incredibly pro-consumer move that the gamers will love. This will go off without any hitch, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Let, let me find the actual refund thing so I want to make sure we get the wording right because here's the problem they highly implied that they had like spoken to retail chains (laughs) and had spoken to playstation and had spoken to like everyone about like hey look we've told people to refund this game please refund this game for them we learned through an investor call that happened because investors were worried about like oh you've just said you're going to give everyone refunds we need to talk they were like oh we don't have any special arrangements with any retailers or digital storefronts we haven't like got an agreement with them that people can refund the game we're just sort of assuming that people will be able to and they're wrong because i I have just retweeted steve Kovac from CNBC who tried to get a refund because Cyberpunk 2077 keeps crashing his PS4 and Sony is just saying that CDPR is working on 
bug fixes and to wait for that. So yeah. CDPR is saying people can get refunds. Sony certainly is saying no. Yeah. So Sony was initially refunding people and then it stopped. That seems to be the case. It was initially inconsistently doing it and now they've taken a stance of no, this is a functional game. That's amazing. That is amazing that CDPR can offer refunds and Sony can just veto it. Just no, 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 no. Yeah. But they can. I know they can, but it's just amazing. Yeah, it doesn't apparently meet Sony's criteria for what is technically a broken game. (laughs) This is unbelievable. This is the punkest thing I've ever fucking heard. (laughs) I love being a hardcore gamer. So here's the thing. Retail has been even worse because no retail stores were warned about this and people were going, oh, CD Projekt Red says I can refund my game. And like your game stops and places are going, yeah, but you've opened it and played it and our refund policy doesn't allow you to return opened games. But CD Projekt Red said I could. Did CDPR just think, our game is so good, no one's going to try and get this refunded? Or certainly not in enough numbers that this will be a problem for us? Well, either that or they, they've they never refunded a game and don't know that it's not. You don't just walk back in and go, I don't want it anymore, please. Were they just trying to appease people or buy time? Like... It feels almost like, I guess at the most generous, I could say it was a knee-jerk thing where they're like, let's just get something out now to get ahead of this. Let's just say refunds and then sort it out and and clearly have fucked that up as well. That is very much the case because they did include at the end, if you have any trouble getting a refund, either digitally or physically, drop us an email. And we now have a response from like what happens if you email CDPR and say, I'd like to refund Cyberpunk. Oh, God. This is confirmation. We have received your assistance request for refunding a console copy of Cyberpunk 2077. This email was sent automatically. Please don't reply. We'll get back to you as soon as possible. No later than the end of 2020 regarding what we're going to do next. So within the next three weeks, they'll tell you what they're going to do about a refund. So it very much feels like they're trying to buy time to work out what to do. Yeah, I feel like if they had an answer, they'd have an answer. Yeah. It it very much feels like their lack of an answer um, points to them not having one. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so it continues. If you own a digital copy on Xbox, go to this support article on the Xbox website, so it seems like Xbox might refund it for you. If you own a digital copy on PlayStation, please wait for us to get back to you. Uh, Sure as hell sounds like Sony's not refunding it. Yeah. And presumably if you have a physical copy, hold on to it for three weeks and hope that you get a refund from CDPR. I mean, it's... It's beautiful. Welcome to Night City. It's just beautiful. Every aspect of this entire release is just... Mwah. Yeah. This is the first game that has ever caused Open Critic, the website that compares various review scores and aggregates and things, to build in a disclaimer that explains to people there will be a huge disparity between review scores depending on which platform you're looking yeah. at. Here is why. They had to institute that as a thing they've never had to do before for this game. Oh. It's tough and amazing. But like, CDPR is not just like, you know, evil, terrible company. They did do something, you know, Something good this week? Oh, oh, you mean like offering refunds to its customers? (laughs) Something like that. Is it like that? It's like that. I hope it turns out just as well. (laughs) So here's a fun fact. People weren't going to get bonuses for working on this game unless Cyberpunk got a certain review score. It was one of those situations. Which, honestly, you don't hear so much these days, and you could be forgiven for thinking the practice was outdated. But here we are, CDPR, the punkest 
publisher in video games doing it once more neon knights and as you might imagine those terrible last gen ports really brought the uh the review score average down quite considerably wow but cdpr has in their benevolent wisdom said don't worry we will still pay out your your bonuses even though you fail to hit the review aggregate scores that you've been stressing about how thoughtful (sighs) which really speaks to what a crock of shit those bonuses are because here we are with this bonus that says you won't get extra if it's not up to snuff however this is so not up to snuff you're gonna get your money it's what a fucked system don't bother with it just give people the fucking money they are due you fucking cyberpunk villains it's pretty great jesus christ I have absolutely no complaints whatsoever. This is perfect. (laughs) The video game industry is incredible. I mean, come on, folks. How can you look at this? How can you look at CDPR and, and, and realize that even they, even the quote unquote goodies are pieces of shit and then say I'm wrong about this industry? What have I been saying all fucking year about those goddamn Gorgons? Fucking hell. Should we talk about some things we've played this week? (laughs) I mean, I'll tell you what I'll do, right, in future, is I'll, I'll, I'll lay out all my fucking criticisms, right? But I'll also record myself underneath myself going, and then people can think that's punk. Because that's what you do to be cyberpunk, is you lay some fucking dubstep under it, and there you go. So what have you played this week, Conrad? Oh, gosh. You know what's punker than cyberpunk? What? Demon Souls? That ain't tying no fucking gender to no fucking voices. Hell yeah, you're right. I mean, they do have some some armor sets that are, you know, split, but... But still more punk than cyberpunk. They're split along body types. They don't yeah. ever have to say this is this is the female one, etc. Exactly. I've got the I've got the famous booming deep voice that I'm known for in real life. Yeah. And the wonderful set of tits that to be honest, even before the E I was known for in real life. Exactly. Yeah, anyway, I, I, I think I've gotten it out of my system. I'm sorry, Conrad. Oh, that's all right. You, if you want to go in first, you want to talk about Demon Souls, because no. you apparently finished that this week. Ah, I beat it. I beat it and enjoyed it. Yeah. But how was it? Was it as good as you remember? Killed fucking Boss King first time. If they made him easier because he's like one of the hardest. And I remember when I played it back in the day, absolutely annihilated me. Easiest time I had with a boss in the game. And I'm not showing off. I'm shit. Like hit me like once or twice or something. Maybe you just have some muscle memory from how much it kicked your ass back in the day. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I played it super safe. It beat your ass so much that decades later you're like, oh, I still remember you. Yeah, like I, I played it mega safe because I was like, fuck getting hit with, with that bloody soul drain. I mean, that's any Souls game. If you play it safe, you're fine. Yeah, I kept away from him. And then every time he raised his sword, I dodged to the left and then uh, just hit him a bunch of times. Uh, and then, you know, eventually uh, he fell over. It's a good video game, isn't it? It's good. I like it a lot. I, I, I love Demon's. I love Demon's Souls back in the day. I, yeah. I've i been going back and looking at like old pictures of the old character models and stuff and realizing that in my head, I always imagine the flame lurker to look like some sort of Bullrog thing but then you look at it and it's like some sort of fucking system shock artwork or something it's a big old bloody bulging (laughs) eye anyway I I really appreciate how much work they did when you go back and look at the old character models and stuff like they changed a lot it wasn't just like 
making everything look prettier. Yeah. Full on redesigns for some of the enemies and, and, you know, for the most part, better all the more for it. That's the thing. Nothing I've come across in that game. I've not finished it yet. I'm still working through it. But nothing in there feels out of place with the original or like it's breaking the tone and the intended sort of presentation of the original. There's not a change in there that I dislike. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know people complain about the UI. Certainly looking back at old screenshots. I don't understand what the UI complaints are. What, what, what is the problem with the UI? In the original Demon Souls, it's super ornate. Like, it's much more thematic. The health bars and everything have these borders on them that are sort of like gilded and impressive. And and in the in the remake, it's, it's much more functional and plain. It is just here is the stats. <laughs> yeah, which I don't have a problem with. Um, I'm not yeah. in it for the UI. UI and to be honest the environment itself the actual game looks so good that the UI doesn't need to distract yeah I've never been particularly fussed by UI because I'm only ever glancing my eyes there in the midst of combat like it's yeah. the game I, I would like to think as little as possible about the UI so yeah yeah so yeah I it, it was very good very much enjoyed it. I only really had to do the final little bit and just hadn't done it for like over a week. So just went in, mopped it up. Thank you very much. Might do a new game plus, might do a new character. I don't know. Or maybe I just won't bother. Maybe I'll just play something else. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Conrad? What you been playing this week? Well, so there is a, uh, a bundle that was released. Oh, yes. I, I picked this bundle up. I also bought this bundle. This is the Be A Better Cyberpunk bundle. It's available <laughs> on itch.io. Oh, I need to add all of those games to my list of things that are better than CD Projekt Red. Mm-hmm. More punk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a collection of a bunch of games, and there's a bunch of short stories, and all sorts of neat stuff in there. It's, it's the same price as the base price for Cyberpunk, I think. Yeah, yeah. Six, 60 dollars. 60 bucks. Yeah. Great stuff in there. So I played a few of those uh, on the stream this past week as an alternative to play in some of that cyberpunk. So I played a game called Null Pointer, Mm -hmm. which is a uh, first-person shooter roguelike. Very, very bare-bones and simple. You're dropped into an environment. You have to work your way downward through these rooms. They're not even rooms. It's sort of like just a big cube floating in space with gaps that you drop lower down to find the exit portal. And then there's a few different enemy types to deal with. You get three different weapons to choose from at the start of it. It is very, very simple, minimalist. It's got a really interesting visual style to it. It does. It's very vector graphic style. It does not play well on a stream, I'll say that much. Twitch compression did not like it. I can't imagine it would. Imagine being in like a sort of Tron world with all the sort of neon colors in the black void, but also there's like ones and zeros swarming at you from everywhere and they're tiny and coming off in the distance. Yeah, I had a little look when Conrad streamed it and it was very much uh, like a basically like a child's drawing. One of them ones that you've got to pretend you're fucking proud of and it's just, what are you doing? You cut up a fucking potato and splodged it on the paper, you little prick. The thing is, the actual art style, when you see it, like, not through Twitch compression, is, like, deliberately artifacted to look sort of like it's on an old, some kind of old monitor, and the the effect looks really good, unless you're trying to stream it. Yeah. Like, it has a really effective aesthetic, and the music is great. Mm. Um, really dug the music in that. It, it's it's fun. It's a good one in that pack, and, and I would 
I would recommend checking that out. Yeah. I also played a game called Visual Out, which is a sort of a Metroidvania platformer with a, a very cool visual style and some interesting mechanics to it that um, the I haven't gotten too deep in because I predictably got lost. Um, the mapping system is not necessarily ideal. It's part of the aesthetic and I get it, but it is working against me. So I, I've kind of set it aside but the first item pickup that you get uh because you have no weapon it's a tether Mm. and you can grab certain things in the environment and then it's dragged around behind you and that gets used for you know connecting things or moving enemies that have certain functions or abilities to other places where they can perform them or even use some of them as weapons themselves and then the next ability creates like a limited negative space around your character that will prevent the deactivation of buttons that you've stood on temporarily Mm. until you untrigger it or the timer runs out. But this can also be used with certain enemy types that have a polarity effect to their attacks. And, And actually, they can all seem to be affected by this. So there's this one enemy that's just kind of like a constellation of dots linked together by some little wireframe. If you use this ability and it comes into contact with them, all of those constellation points break apart and now become threats everywhere. So it's really interesting how each of the mechanics then applies some sort of effect on seemingly everything else that you can interact with. It's neat. Frustrating for me to play, but pretty cool. Yeah. Seems like it's got some cool ideas to it. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Laura? What have you played? Uh, I played a bunch of stuff today because there was a Nintendo did a little indie direct yesterday and surprise dropped a bunch of stuff that I'd been meaning to check out for a while. So I just spent a day trying to test stuff out. What do I what do I start with? So I played a game today called Grindstone. Uh, How do I how do I describe this game? It is a puzzle game about uh, a man trying to climb a mountain and beat up monsters to take his family on holiday to somewhere less inhospitable than the middle of nowhere where he lives. You have... Each level has, like, a sort of grid layout that enemies are dropped into, and basically, you can keep attacking enemies so long as you can create an unbroken chain of the same colour of enemy, either up, down, left, right, or diagonal. And it starts off really simple. If you can get a chain of ten or more enemies in a single go, uh, you will get a gem that will appear somewhere on the map, and that will allow you to change what colour of enemy you're targeting Mid combo, mm-hmm. you've got the lots of enemies will attack, so you have to keep in mind what are the safe spots on the map to finish your uh, your big chain of attacks in, so that you don't get damaged because you have very limited health yourself. You have to rely on staying away from the things that are gonna deal you damage. If you can get lots of these gems down, you can start chaining them and clearing the whole screen. Ideally, like in single attacks, taking fucking everything out. Mm-hmm. And it's usually a case of to get through the level, you just have to kill X number of enemies. Simple enough, getting through the game is really easy. Where the challenge comes in is usually as soon as you open the door to exit the level, they will drop in some treasure items that are optional objectives to go collect. And the way that they get a sort of good risk reward going with this is that 
the more turns you stay in the, the the puzzle trying to collect things before you leave, the higher the percentage of the map will be enemies that are attacking you. So the more turns you spend trying to go like, okay, well, I can get to that corner, get the key, get the chest, get back out. By the end of it, it's like, oh, there are only three safe spots on the entire map. I have to finish my turn on one of these three spots. Which has a really nice sort of risk-reward. It it put a lot of good pressure onto the optional objectives. I mean, the thing the thing that has got me really kind of hooked on this game is a lot of the, the presentation stuff really sells it. It's got a very, like, Adventure Time Cartoon Network-y art style, which I think it does well for the job it's going for. But, you know, in fighting games, when you land a punch, properly, uh, you'll sometimes get hit stop, I think it's called. There will be a visual effect and a sound effect and the game will pause for just a second to make it feel like you've made impact. Every attack you do through this sort of chain through the room has that sort of real good oomph to it. And it makes what is basically just a connect the things of the same colour puzzle game feel a lot more dramatic than it is. The presentation takes something mechanically simple and has had me really hooked to it. It's a very fun game. So I've, I've been having a very good time with that. Uh, Jim, have you been playing anything else this week? Oh, like you wouldn't believe. Yeah? Yeah, I've played two other games, right? Right. Which one would you like to hear about right now? I have played Observer and also I've played Dead to Rights Retribution. I don't know, which would you like to tell us about? <laughs> uh, well, Dead to Rights Retribution made me laugh, so... I can't tell if it's the best or the worst game I've ever played. It's amazing. I've got one of those for you today as well, so oh. I'm excited to hear about yours. Dead to Rights Retribution is amazing. <laughs> I've heard about it a lot, but I've never actually... I've never played any of the Dead to Rights games, but I was on the PS5, and as I said last week, I turn it on all the time looking for fucking something to do, and decided on Sunday I was bored enough, fuck it, let's have a look at PlayStation Now. And they added some stuff since I last looked at it, and I didn't look at it all that long ago. I did look at it on the PS4, so I don't know if they've added a bunch of stuff, but they've got fucking things on there like quantum theory and dark void and damnation all of these five out of ten games i used to have to play when i worked at destructoid like real blasts from the past and on there i might even play some of that old shit damnation was awful i might stream it sometime but dead rights retribution is on there now Back in the day, like 2010, this has gotten like six out of ten reviews and all this stuff. And seeing some of the, the, the comments, some of the reception at the time, like Dead to Rights Retribution is disposable. It does nothing new, doesn't stand out. And then I'm playing it and I'm like, this is some of the most amazing total bollocks I have ever fucking played. It is like this sort of, imagine if someone tried to do Die Hard, but was really bad at writing Die Hard. And yet somehow put so much effort into it. There is a scene where the main character, who of course is called Jack Slate, his dad dies and it goes on for five minutes of this dude just, wake up dad! Oh my god dad, wake up! Oh my god! Just really fucking going for it. And I'm laughing my head off, but also thinking, god, I feel so bad for Jack Slate. The gameplay is like, the game starts with an injured Jack, is it Jack Slate or Jack Slade? I can't remember. Either way. Begins with him injured. And his dog comes in. Shadow. 
And you're like, oh, look at that sweet dog. Oh my God, the game begins with me getting to play as the dog, protecting my master. Let's run up to that enemy. And oh, that cute dog is tearing that fucker's throat out. (laughs) He's gone for that one's balls. This is amazing. And it's (laughs) the, the game opens with you just sprinting from enemy to enemy tearing them to shreds and you think that's fun and then it puts you in control of jack slate who like it's so clunky you know you're you're hitting triangle and circle and then triangle and circle at the same time to try and pull off different combos the camera is all over the place it's you know 2010s third person action shooter kind of stuff there's a rudimentary cover system and all that but it's just such a mess and it's just challenging but also just forgiving enough that you can just run into the middle of enemies and do stupid things and the physics obey no laws so you do finishing moves pre pre pre-animated finishing moves like you'll run up punch someone you press x and you'll break their neck or do wrestling moves or throw them but the moment they leave his hands the physics take over so you can like break someone's neck and then they will just shoot off 20 feet and the best and this is what pisses me off when they say this game does nothing because i've never seen a game do it this fucking well you can run up to an enemy press a button jack will pull the gun they're holding out instantly aim it at them and then you go but 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 and blow them to smithereens and it is so quick and so fluid for a 10 year old game and i've never seen something like another game there may be some, I may have even played them and forgotten, but I've never played a game where I'm running from enemy to enemy, because you don't keep the guns. So you run in, pull the shotgun out of that fucker's hands, bash, right, send them flying, you know, 50 feet away, turn to the other one, bash, bash, guns run out, run up to another one, pull the fucking pistol out of his hand, brat, brat, in the fucking face, like that and then it lets you be the dog again and then you just sneak around you and bark and then someone follows it around the corner right in the fucking nuts because that's what a hero does and the fact that you start the first level as a cop shooting away union members somehow only makes it more amazing because it's so offensive Oof! wow it's i'm I realise I am overselling it to the point where someone might now excitedly play it and think, what are they talking about? This is shit. But it's it's been delighting me since the weekend because it's just that, for me, that right level of just utter fucking gibberish and nonsense. Aww. But with this really fun disarming thing, I love the disarming and and the combat, as clunky as it is, is, is fun because it's just so stupid. Yeah, if you've got PlayStation Now, it's there and it's worth like it's worth the first 10 minutes or so at least. I'm probably going to keep playing it because I'm really I'm genuinely enjoying it on top of the ironic enjoyment and the the fact that it's so tone deaf especially like 10 years on that there is something horrifyingly amusing about that element. I have today been playing a similarly, I don't know if it's the best or worst game, but I'm loving it. I'm having a great time. There are always great experiences regardless. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if I can recommend 
buying this one, but I am having a great time playing it, and I will explain why. It is called Calico, uh, and this is a game I've been anticipating. It's been on my, like, most anticipated indie game of the year list. Uh, it's a lot more indie jank than I had expected, but in the best kind of way. So, you play as a girl who's moved to a island full of cats and you're you're a magical girl at one of them sailor moons and the whole idea is you're trying to just start a cat cafe and the game is kind of fundamentally broken upon first booting it up my first impression was oh my god the frame rate is bad and it's chugging and oh mm. It felt difficult to play, but if you can get through, like, your first impressions of the sheer level of jank on it, it is weirdly heartwarming. So the whole point of this game is just go around this island finding cats and picking them up and going, you're mine now, cat, and bringing them home with you. Don't care if they're anyone else's cat, this cat's coming with me. I'll tell you what, right? Right. I haven't thought about cat claimers in a long time, but... Oh, they piss me off. There's just something Mm. about the idea of someone, like, knowingly getting someone else's cat and putting a new collar on it and everything. It's something about that has always just utterly disgusted me. This is the thing. The game doesn't explicitly tell you that's what's going on, but that is how I've interpreted the events. Oh, that's definitely how I would want to play it. And that's the thing, is I find it hilarious with that interpretation, because the cats all have names already, which to me says, this is someone's cat that I'm taking. And it's not just you know, limited to cats. I found a raven and was like, hey, raven, be my friend. And it came to, you know, follow me around. I had a squad of five cats that just run with me wherever I go. But like, the sheer level of jank is where this game goes from being like, okay, it's a kind of fun open world about doing little quests for people and you sort of collect cats along the way. Oh, no, no, no. You have a dedicated button at all times that is called Wiggle the Cat. (laughs) Go on. And I don't know how to explain this. Imagine, you know, when you're like turning a steering wheel and you sort of rotate both hands simultaneously. Imagine if you were doing that to turn the cat, but you just kept turning and turning and turning and somehow your arms didn't tangle up. You just get the cat rotating and can move it around yourself Hmm. in various positions while it rotates, clipping through your body. I don't know what the intended purpose of this is, but it's great. You can at any time play, you know, with little uh, toys with your cats and or your raven who are following you. I've got like a little ball on a a feather on a string. The raven tries to, you know how a cat might lie on their back and try and bat at a thing above them? Yeah. The raven tries to do that, but all it does is it looks like it's (gasps) breakdancing. Better game. Exactly. You've just named a way better game. I want the game with the breakdancing ravens. (laughs) Oh, no, the breakdancing raven comes from the everywhere I go. I now celebrate a quest completed by making the raven break oh, dance. Oh, that sounds brilliant. This is the best game I've ever heard. This is way more punk than cyberpunk. <laughs> Thank you, I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, uh, all of the NPC behaviour is broken in ways that are kind of hilarious. I had a a quest giver uh, be like, oh, um, Ash hasn't been doing well at work. Yeah, can you find out what's what's going up with them? Why, why they've been doing worse at work? Ash has stood literally behind them, literally in contact with the NPC. Like, could you go find Ash? And, you know, I, I don't want to say this in front of Ash, but, um, you know, they're doing really bad at work and I feel like something's going on. I, I You know, they won't talk to me. And I'm, I'm just there like, I love that this NPC is right behind you. That's great. That's a joke in the first episode of What We Do in the Shadows. Whereas, like, I don't like to say this in front of Guillermo. I'm sorry, Guillermo, I don't <laughs> like to say this in front of you. Yeah, it's unintentionally hilarious because there's a bunch bunch of stuff that they clearly have implemented and not made any effort to be like, 
oh, well, we have to make sure these two people aren't near each other when that quest spawns, or we have to fix the raven's behaviour when it lies on its back playing with a toy. It seems like they've just gone, nah, fuck it. And it's a much better game for it. Yeah. <laughs> also, at some point, it became Big Cook, Little Cook. I was trying to make food for this cat cafe I'm supposed to be running, and I got magically shrunk, and I was tiny on the table oh. trying to... Like, I had to make a, a cupcake, and I, I just threw the whole bag of flour in a bowl with that egg, and then it was a cupcake. Big Cook, Little Cook. I've not thought of that in years. I'm going to have to add that to my Twitch stream breaks. Someone mentioned it in Twitch chat when my character shrunk, and I was like, oh, God, yeah, Big Cook, Little Cook's a thing. Yeah, I tried to throw some butter in the bowl that slid halfway across the kitchen. I was tiny, so it took me forever to run after it. Oh. None of this is the intended gameplay, and I did not care to really follow the main quest. I was just scouring the island looking for more cats to add to my collection of cats. I found I found one called Pudge, who had really short legs and a really chubby face. Aww. I was like, ah, oh, fuck yeah, you're joining the squad. I filled my house with like 15 cats already. It's great. That sounds like the right thing to do. It sounds like you've done a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I can't say that this game is what I expected it to be, or that the intended gameplay path is necessarily good, or that it's necessarily well optimised, but there is a lot of fun to be had in this weird broken game. If you go into it with the knowledge of, hey look, I just want like, cutesy adorable cat content and then sometimes a raven will break dance then yeah calico's worth checking out <laughs> yeah sounds i mean you had me at the breakdancing raven definitely the breakdancing raven is the is the, okay okay i was gonna say the breakdancing raven is the best part the best part is when i turned around too quickly while holding the cat and the cat got suspended in where it was in reality while my character continued to turn and i had to step away to like you know unrubber band this cat and they fucking flew across the room I realised I could sort of elastic band the cat with an invisible elastic band. That was that was fun. <laughs> Calico's fun if you want something broken to play around in. There you go. And and when you want something like that, the game industry will always provide. Yeah. Uh, who else has played something else this week? Um. Well, I I played another one other game in that better than Cyberpunk. Or be a better cyberpunk. Yeah. I'm going to get that name right. when It's, it's called Spinortality. <laughs> the thing is, you're right on both counts. Spinortality. I mean, yeah. Spinortality <laughs> is like a, it's, it's a business management sim. I think I've played this one. I'm pulling up pictures of it now. I think I've played this in the past. You're basically, you run a shadowy global corporation. Yes. And yes. you create campaigns and products to sell starting with social media yeah and over time find horrible ways to monetize it horrible ways to treat your employees in with the aim of maximizing profits so that you can research how to make the board of directors of your company immortal yes it is you you are playing as the villain of any other cyberpunk story yeah and yeah it's very funny <laughs> I don't know if it's very good. I'm not deep enough into it, but I'm going to play this more because it, it, it's entertaining, at least. It's a lot of flowcharty stuff, though. Yeah. I, I played this, I think, like a year and a half ago. Like, coming, it must be coming up on a couple of years ago I played it. I remember it very positively. Mm -hmm. I seem to remember that the humor stays pretty consistently throughout and it maintains the sort of knowledge of 
this is not what anyone should want to be. Right. But we're playing in play in make-believe space, so yeah, have fun with it. Yeah, it seems to have its tongue pretty firmly planted in its cheek, and yeah, I dig it. Yeah, I have fond memories of it. I don't remember any problems, so take that for what you will two years later. Yeah. Yeah. And then other than that, this week I've just played more Hades and, oh, and, and Cave Story Plus, and I'm really only mentioning it because it was free on Epic Game Store last week, and I was like, oh yeah, I love Cave Story Plus. I'm going to open up my Steam copy and I tried to start playing it and I realized, hey, wait a minute. They have never implemented controller support in this fucking game. <laughs> not, not on PC, they haven't. Uh, uh, what the fuck? Yeah. They just released it on Epic Game Store. They're going to make a ton of money yeah no controller support yeah i and there's no reason why it shouldn't because like there's a switch version that has controller support like there are v- console versions that have controller support mm-hmm. why wouldn't you just put controller support in because they didn't have to they don't care yeah but they should want to yeah well <laughs> anyway so that's what i played this week anybody else play anything uh, I played a couple of other things. Let me pull my list up. I played the opening hour or so of Dicey Dungeons, which is another game that dropped on Switch this week that I've had my eyes on for a while. I watched you play a bit of that. Yeah, yeah. So it is a run-based game. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a roguelike in that you start as set predetermined characters. There doesn't seem to be much in the way of progression between runs that I have seen so far, but it is randomized runs you take with these characters. Before you get too far into it, I do want to interrupt you. When you f- when you first said it, I thought you said rum-based, and I thought, <laughs> well, that's delicious. Oh, sounds lovely. How do I get a rum-based game? <laughs> well, I mean, you might have to go to your 7-Eleven or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you have in America. I'm sure you can make a rum-based game. But yeah, so it is a sort of turn-based RPG where your characters are dice, and all of your moveset is determined by dice rolls. But very specifically, you usually have ways to alter the results of your dice to make them fit with what you need. So for example, you might have, I had a great axe on one run that um, will double the damage of whatever uh, number you roll, but the biggest number dice you can put into that slot is a four. So like you can do more than six damage, but if you roll above a four, oh, you can't use that dice. I had some modifiers that would nudge up the results of a dice by one, and I could do that a couple of times per round. I could re-roll a dice, I think, like three times per round. There was a character called the Thief that I played the second time round, where all of its gimmick was, you need to get yourself low numbers to do anything. High numbers are nothing, but you can repeatedly attack as long as you, like, oh, if you got a three, you can break that down into a two and a one, so you've got some smaller numbers to work with. As you go through, you pick up upgrades, you build your character out, you've got things that can build out your build. One thing I like about this is that you can have attacks and bits of moveset that aren't currently equipped. It's it's not like something like, say, the Binding of Isaac, where you pick up your new weapon and have to drop the thing you were using before. You've got backpack space, and it's basically like you have this many slots active, but you can carry a bunch of other stuff with you if you're going to want want to swap your moveset around later. You can basically, anytime you're not in a battle, you can swap your moves around. I, I found it really fun. All of the creature designs are really uh, really creative, very colourful. I like that you can check at any time what your opponent's moveset is and get a sense of 
what things to be aware of and watch out for. There's enough ability to customise your moveset early in a run to the way you like it that I don't find myself starting a run and going, yeah, but I don't have what I want to have right now. Like, there's a lot of, okay, you've already got three or four alternate options by the time you get through the end of the first level that you can play around with. And yeah, I'm definitely gonna, I'm definitely gonna come back to this. The narrative conceit around it is really fun. It's people who've sold their soul at the chance to have whatever really stupid mortal desire they want of like, I want a billion dollars so I can have all my money. And it's like, okay, well, you you now have to go through this gauntlet of hell eternally until you get it. And if you, if you don't get to the end and get your money, you just got to live through this forever. But presented as a sort of fun game show. Hmm. So yeah, Dicey Dungeons. It's it's a fun little game. I want to put more time into it, but I very much enjoyed the, the bit of it I played today. What about you, Jim? You played anything else? I've played a game that is, after all of the goofing, I can legitimately say is more punk than cyberpunk. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. It has got mind hacking in it. Mind hacking? Well, that's pretty cyberpunk. Yeah. It has got a mega corporation in it. It has got hologram addicts in it. So you know it is the future, right? And, I mean, this is the killing blow, the coup de grace. It's got the rut in it. Rutger Hauer himself, okay? So you can all shove it up your ass. Because Rutger Hauer is in it, the most cyberpunk man. It's pretty cyberpunk man. Yeah. It's called Observer, I should probably say the name of the game. It's called Observer. It was done by the people what done them Layers of Fear games. Except I, I quite like Observer so far. It's... It's all right. It's a psychological horror. I've not gotten to any of the stealth bits yet. I've heard they're kind of rubbish. I'm, I'm just in the investigation bit. But you play Rutger Hauer, who is called an observer, who can hack people's brains for interrogation. So he puts a plug on himself into someone's head, and then you just sort of play these weird sort of, you know, spooky sequences uh, to sort of see what they saw, I guess. And you switch between... Two different modes of, of seeing stuff, your bio mode and your other one. So you can sort of see things like blood or, or wounds and things, sort of biological stuff with one vision, and then sort of electromagnetic stuff with the other to look for things like computers and hard drives and stuff. So you go to these crime scenes and you basically just wander around looking and scanning for evidence, piece together this story as, as Rutger Hauer goes around this sort of dark, dingy, cyberpunkish world trying to solve crimes and things. Um, and it's okay. Rutger Hauer is not at the height of his performing ability. Mm. Not by this... Like, he's really slurring throughout the whole thing. It's great. I mean, I love Rutger Hauer, and, and I'm all there for it. And it was one of the reasons I, I got it. Casey Explosion had been playing it and was praising it really highly. But yeah, Rutger Hauer is... He's not brilliant in it, as, as nice as it is to hear his voice. The story itself seems pretty interesting. The game is criticised for sort of being a lot of a lot of flash without much substance, and I can see that. But it, it's interesting. I can't play it during the day because you know I've got them big windows, Conrad. Mm-hmm. And even when I put the blinds down, it can still be pretty bright. And on the brightest setting in the game on my TV, it's still too dark to play sometimes. It's just one of them. It's it's got such a, a heavy sort of real dark black and green 
scheme to it. The Some of the darker segments, it's almost impossible to see where you're going without the room you're in also being pretty damn dark. Rather than that, I'll keep playing it. I haven't formed a, a complete opinion of it yet just because I've only seen some of the investigation stuff. So far, it's it's got a little more to it than Bloober Team's usual stuff. I find their Layers of Fear stuff to be, you want to talk about style over substance and sort of surface level uh, design. Mm. The Layers of Fear games sort of tick off horror trope checkboxes with such triteness that I found the first Layers of Fear game okay, and then I found Layers of Fear 2, like, just really hard to defend because it was just doing the same garbage. At least this is doing something different and weird. Yeah. Hmm. So that's good. And I'll, I'll have to see how this stealth stuff goes, because apparently that's really sort of annoying, gameplay-wise. Yeah. But, the you know, doing the evidence gathering and the detective work on that, that's fun enough. It's not super challenging, you know, you, you're basically just looking for highlighted things. But it's one of them games where if you're caring enough about the story and the world, it's, you know, a bit of a laid-back chill time. But with a sort of dash of intrigue to it. Yeah. Uh, I, I played a couple of other little things. I played like a very small amount of the Switch port of Among Us, because that's on Switch now. Oh yeah, that just sort of popped up. It just sort of popped up. I saw someone on Twitter like complaining about it costing five bucks and then people wasting no time pointing out how quick Nintendo fans are to buy ROMs for sixty dollars. <laughs> Yeah, $5 for Among Us really ain't that bad. No. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the the Switch port runs really well. You know, you don't have a mouse, which, you know, some some of the minigames will be slightly less immediately uh, easy to do than they would be otherwise. Um, but like, not annoyingly so. There is a there is an offline free play mode where you can just go in and wander around without threat of being murdered and do the minigames and go, okay, I know how to do this minigame and what the rooms are called so that I'm not assumed to be a murderer. Yeah, you know, and, and, and so that you, you can identify all of the things in the game the first time through and, you know... You know what to deny knowledge of when right. you're being accused. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it's it's a it's a good port. It's one of those things I I'm I don't need it particularly right now, but I know that once like the pandemic's done, the Switch is a really convenient device for me to when I have friends around be like, "Everyone just bring your Switches. We'll play some Among Us when we're a bit drunk at the end of the night. That'll be yeah. good fun in the same room as each other." Not worrying about Skype lag. Can I just quickly say on the subject of Among Us, um, Dunkey's channel is giving me life right now. Oh, yes, yes. Dunkey's channel has been, like, he, I think it was like over a week ago, he, he did a video yeah. saying he's not going to do good videos anymore. So, to be specific, this is Video Game Dunkey is the, is the name of the person. Video Game Dunkey, yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan of his work. He does these sporadic videos. We're very well edited of him playing games. Sometimes he'll do more serious review stuff, but it's often sort of these, these clip compilations of him play, almost like sketch comedy, but using gameplay. He's one of the, one of the uh, the good examples of someone I would point at as doing truly transformative stuff with games. Yeah. So I love his editing style and everything, but he recently did a video saying he's done making good videos because it hurts the channel. Yeah. Like, uh, saying a lot of stuff I've been complaining about this year, and now he's taken to doing these shitty, like, two or three minute daily videos to a calendar that he's actually stuck to. Like, one day is for drama, yeah. one day is for Minecraft, uh, two days are for Among Us, which he's stopped now um because of you know quote unquote drama that's been added into it like it's 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 very cathartic and i've been enjoying it yeah he's doing a deliberate thing which is 
hey, if the algorithm wants daily shitty content, that's what I'll give it. You're right, gamers? <laughs> and he's big enough he can get away with it. Yeah, yeah. He's still doing really well, and he's, the more he's doing it, the more it leads to further jokes, like he did yeah. one of his reaction videos, and then the next week did a reaction to his reaction video. And and it's just, it's really a, it's a really creative way to, of skewering what YouTube's been doing this year without doing what I've been doing, which is just whining about it a lot. And the YouTube algorithm has been rewarding him for it. Well, there you go. He is he is getting in the trending page a lot for doing a lot less work. For absolute garbage, yeah. yeah. That's what that's what works. YouTube's he, broken. Not only has, been, has he been doing a great job parodying it, he's proven that YouTube itself is beyond parody in this regard. Yeah. Other thing I played, last thing I played, I have started playing some of season three of Fall Guys, which I'm going to go back to playing tonight after Podquisition records. Oh, that's that game! Yeah, it's that game! Well, I haven't played in a few weeks, but season three happened, so I thought, fuck it, I'll come back in. Fuck yeah. They did the thing that I wish they'd done in season two, where right from day one there is a playlist available that is... Just give me the season three stuff. Just let me play season three. Uh... Um, so you can go in and just go, I would like to just play the new stuff for a bit. And it seems like they have like five new uh, levels at launch. You've got your sort of opening one that's going to turn up early, early on in the game where you've got lots of big boxing gloves and pads that will launch you if you're blown into them. Lots of very strong winds and slippery ice and things that will launch you off of where you're supposed to be. Not nearly as frustrating as I imagined an ice level in Fall Guys could become. They've got a new variant of the Jumping Through Rings game where now it is big circles with ring-shaped holes in these circles and you're trying to jump through them to get to the bottom of this big slope where there is some high point scoring rings and then you get thrown back up to the top and you're just trying to get as many points as you can quickly enough by like the smaller the ring the more points it's worth to jump through don't stress about getting every point just keep moving keep sliding jump through these holes which is pretty fun they've got one that's not a finale but is it feels very much like an evolution of something like Fall Mountain it is a very very large obstacle course climbing up a very big mountain Um, it has enough different stages in it that there's plenty of time to recover if you fuck up and they have a new final round which I am a big fan of it's basically a variation on the you know the hex hexagon final round mm -hmm. it's kind of like that but a lot more condensed so you have this hexagonal grid of platforms that is four layers thick and there's no gap between them it's just four layers of hexagons and each hexagon can be stepped on about three times before it breaks and now you're down to the next level and that's it stay alive what i like about this is because it has a lot less of that someone fell down like eight floors at once accidentally out of nowhere. It feels a lot less like one fuck up and oh, you've just completely ruined it for yourself. You you know, there's someone a million miles up who is still jumping on individual hexagons and there's no way to get back up to them. It's very much, oh, you can always get back up to the good position. Like you're never like, unless you fall through into the water, you can always get back up and keep going. See, because here, here's where, where I sort of run counter to that is that that, falling a whole bunch of floors goes both ways. Yeah, yeah. And when they're up there, you know, on their individual things and they're in a corner where, oh, crap, I nothing 
but empty beneath me or very small targets to hit. So I don't know. I agree with you. And I like, I like the hexagon, the regular hexagon mode exists. What I like about this one is it allows for slightly less frantic play and slightly more deliberate and creative play. Mm -hmm. It's more about slowly building up like, aha, I'm going to build this awkward trench so that when I flee here, you're going to be stranded. It's, it's more about uh, making deliberate holes that are like a single hexagon wide and almost about to break. And if you touch this once, you will fall through. But it's only a single hexagon. So someone will walk across it being like, oh, there's going to be ice under there and fucking fall through. It is a lot more about taking your time and doing a bit of subterfuge about how you're going to get someone to fall through. Mm-hmm. And I really have enjoyed it. The first the first round of it I played. I feel like it could do with some tightening up in that I don't think it needs to be four layers thick. I think that that is a bit too much. It makes the start of the game where you're whittling it down and starting to, to wear it away last a little longer than it needs to. Mm-hmm. But I think the concept is really solid and I want to see what they do with it with tweaks over time. So yeah, Fall Guys Season season 3, the new content in there is good fun. Oh, uh, there was one other one. Uh, there's a new team ball pushing one. You're trying to push a ball around through snow to build it up as big as possible. There's lots of hexagons of snow on the ground. If you touch one, your your ball gets slightly bigger. The catch being that there are some boxing gloves around the side of the wall that can either be detrimental if you're trying to get somewhere specific, or can knock your ball miles across the map and get you a bunch of snow in the short term, but your ball is way away from you and who knows what the other team will do while you're not with it. So yeah, there's there's some fun games in there. I'm going to I'm going to probably stream it the night that we record this, play some more of it. It's enough that it's going to get me back in for at least a few sessions. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, you got time for some newsy bits? Yeah, real quick, we can. Yeah, yeah, we'll make them quick. So Fortnite's got a new mode that is Among Us. Oh, it sounds super original. I love it when Epic does this. Yeah, yeah. Fortnite stealing an existing idea and being like, no, it's ours now. Who'd have thunk? It's good when Epic copies things. Yeah. So originally this started in creative mode as like a fan created optional mode. And that's fine, I think. Fans work out how to make things inside other things. That's that's great. Yeah. Well, I think what's what makes this so good is not only is Fortnite copying someone else's idea, it's an idea Epic itself didn't even come up with. Yeah, they, 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 they went, oh, we'll take this thing that fans made and make it an official mode. And if you read through the fucking description of it, it's, oh, you've got like 10 players and one of them is being evil and suspicious and you've got to go do tasks around the map and there's a button you can press to call an emergency meeting and you can only talk to each other on voice chat when you're having the meeting and then you've got go silent again oh fuck you epic like oh fuck you it is literally literally among us and like look epic fuck uh, among us is not the first game to ever be a hidden role game where people are pretending not to be the evil one oh no i mean i've played you know battlestar galactica and werewolf and all these fucking things yeah or dear secret hitler and whatnot but like this is this is so transparently like Oh, that indie game is big. Yes, we want a mode of that in our yeah. free-to-play game. Epic Mega Thieves. I'm actually surprised, because Justin and I were calling them ripping off Fall Guys pretty soon after that was a hit. And I, we never saw anything, to my knowledge. No, I did not expect Among Us to be the one it ripped off. I thought I was sure it was going to be Fall Guys too. Well, I guess a fan didn't come up with a way of putting Fall Guys into it, so Epic couldn't have had the idea. <laughs> 
Additionally, if you've got Games Pass on Xbox, all of EA's EA Play library is just available for free in in, oh. in Game Pass now. On consoles. Not on the PC library, though. Not on PC until, like, 2021 at some point, but if you've got an Xbox, you can, I, I downloaded uh, Titanfall 2 because I kind of want to go back through the single-player story of that at some point because that had a good campaign. Oh, I recently replayed that a few, uh, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago at the most? I think it was you mentioning that that got me thinking about it. Yeah, oh, it's still fucking good. I started playing it earlier this year and I made it a good way through. Oh, it was really good and I stopped playing it. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah. yeah they've got that. They've got the Mirror's Edges, the Mass Effects. There, there's some stuff in there where I'm like, yeah, I'll... Sure. There's some video games you can play. Oh, you could experience the Mass Effect story. Yeah. Oh, are they, are they really... Like, I keep hearing bits and bobs. I, I, I don't ever remember to get a confirmation. Are they putting the Mass Effects on Switch or not? So it's been rumoured and it's shown up like a billion times on retailer listings. Officially, no. The official okay. answer is that the remastered trilogy is only coming to PlayStation and Xbox and PC. Okay. I might still get it. I, I give Mass Effect so many fucking chances. I've given the first game so many, and I always get too disgusted to do the next ones. But I think next time it's yeah. out. I think the remasters, I will go and, and maybe even just ignore the first and do two and three. I'm curious to see how much they're going to fix up the first one. I can't stand the first one. Yeah. During the Game Awards, the game advertisements this week, they ended with a trailer for a new Mass Effect game. Yeah. By the way, congratulations. Congratulations to Hades for winning Game of the Year, Best Direction, really sweeping up the game advertisements. Yeah, literally every award it was nominated for, Hades Game of the Year. Yeah. Yeah, it's a new Mass Effect trailer, and the only thing I want to say about this is it sure as fuck seems like they panicked about the fact that, you know, they did Andromeda, and that wasn't a sequel to the Commander Shepard games. And also it was a shit game and nobody enjoyed it. Oh, it was total banana trash. So it seems like the lesson they took away from it was not don't make a shit game was oh we can't make a Mass Effect game without Commander Shepard so <sighs> it seems like of the various ways that your story could end they're going to make the destruction ending canon so that Commander Shepard could live so that Liara can find you so that you can go on more adventures with the original trilogy crew the best thing about Mass Effect is how your choices matter <laughs> look I have been a staunch defender for a long time that Mass Effect 3's ending is good. And one of the things that I think makes it good is that it has a real good sense of finality, that there is sometimes there is no good solution and you just have to make peace with it and say goodbye to your friends and yep. find whatever you know resolution you can. And now that seems to be being dug up out the fucking dirt. Well, they... they... That to screw around with it even in the adjustment to the ending. It was fine. Yeah, it was. I liked the ending before the extended cut. I still thought it was fine. Yep. A bleak, bittersweet ending where sometimes there's no good choices. For me, that was fine. I liked that. And an unusual, refreshing change of pace from every other fucking video game I play. This has made me, the person who defends the Mass Effect 3 ending, annoyed about where Mass Effect is going. The thing is, any any game can have 
uh, an effective final message until they need a sequel. At which point, any artistic aims of the original can be thrown out the fucking window. I really hope that this isn't what it appears to be from the trailer, because, like, the whole DLC, that last DLC they did where it was just about saying goodbye to your friends who you're never going to see again, like, that was so moving and so powerful. Don't undercut it by fucking digging Shepard's body out the snow and being like, you're alive again, go on an adventure. I am hopeful that that, because it certainly suggests that Shepard's legacy lives on. It tells us that we're going to be playing back in that timeline again. And it's my hope that it is a story about dealing with the loss of this character. I will say, if their message, if their takeaway from Andromeda is we need Shepard back, <sighs> that speaks to some deep fucking problems at Bioware. And here's the thing, even if it's not that, even if it is just we are continuing the original trilogy's timeline, the fact that they show the destroyed Mass Effect relays means that like, oh, canonically, it seems like you're probably not going to be able to play through of Mass Effect 4 where you didn't decide to genocide the Geth. Like, it sure seems like that's going to be a prerequisite of what comes next. Because they have to decide what happened at the end of Mass Effect 3 if they're going to give you another story, because they didn't plan for it to branch a fourth time. So, yeah, let's just assume the Geth are all dead, probably. Which always seemed like the, the ending the Bioware wanted to be canon anyway, because the only one where you could get that post-credit scene where, like, a little bit of hand movement in the rubble happens. It's like, oh, that's the ending where Shepard gets to live. If you do a genocide of these robot people, Shepard gets to live. Yeesh. Well, thanks. Also, the only other thing of note from the Game Award I need to say, I need to share, this year's Slick Hydrobot happened. Oh, I missed that. I only watched the last hour. Oh, it wasn't Slick Hydrobot themselves. You... D trust me, Conrad, you're aware of this thing I'm going to get to, the equivalent thing. Oh, yes, I did catch this. Yes. Oh, no, I... I didn't watch the game advertisements, but I watched this bit. Yeah, so Omen Gaming Laptops had an advert in which they implied that gamers have superior genetics. They so don't! <laughs> if, I, if I may, if I may, the, the commercial opens with the line, As gamers, you are smarter, sharper, <laughs> and just generally better people. Oh, you know what's so funny is that's the kind of rhetoric that has led to very genuine instances of harassment and assault. Yeah, this is like gamer eugenics being called on. So punk. So, Omen laptops are like, hey, we need all of your gamer sperm and eggs. We need your gamer genetic material. And like, most of the advert is just like a bunch of clean-cut people being like, I've donated... I've donated, and then there's one man sat at his gaming laptop who turns to the camera, and before I say it, just imagine this with the tone of, like, a three-year-old who has just learned, like, the word willy, and thinks that it's, like, a very naughty word that's quite funny to say, and he turns to the camera and goes, I've got very powerful swim-swims, I'm just... I can't unhear his powerful swim-swims. Hey, gamers! You're the genetic superior, which is why you call your sperm swim swims. So there's an interesting juxtaposition of things going on here. That opening line of sharper, smarter, better people that that is there to sort of lift up the gamer and make them feel good and self-important. But there is some subtle negging going on in all of this, oh, too, because yeah. if it's so important that gamers spread their genetics, 
We'd better come up with a program to collect it and do it ourselves because they're not going to. <laughs> that is that is very true. Gamers, gamers, you're not fucking. Please let us, like, suck it out of you. Right. Like, oh, boy, they should be really upset by that. I, I'm just imagining. We've, we've talked about, like, what it must have been like for the person to, like, doing this. But just imagine, right? The year is 2014. You've just dragged and dropped an image of the Doverkin from Skyrim <laughs> right next to a, a picture of, of Nathan Drake. Uh, right behind that impact font that says I'm a gamer, not because I have no life, but because <laughs> I have many. You finally hit save as, and you've posted it to Imga, and you sit back and think, my son shall lead millions. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, you were reading the text of that shirt, and I couldn't help myself picturing it continuing a couple more words and being like, I am, I am a gamer, not because I have no life, but because I have many powerful swim swims. Swim swims. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No one listening to this podcast, no one on this podcast is genetically superior to a crab. <laughs> And, and as someone who cares about the people, uh, you know, the, the mass public, people who play games uh, and want to just play them in peace, I will never lie to you and say that you're better than someone. That's the cruelest thing I could do. Mm. And I think it was very cruel of Omen PCs to do the same, whatever they are. Um, either way, no one wants to hear about a game of Swim Swims when they're trying to find out, like, which award The Last of Us Part 2 won next. Yeah. The only other bit of news, and I feel like this is worth sharing because it's just ridiculous, Twitch has announced a bunch of updated guidelines for, like, things things that are considered hateful that you shouldn't do on Twitch. Hooray! Coming into effect at the end of February 2021. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. Like, can you imagine anyone just sort of like get going on national TV or something and just saying hate speech will not be tolerated in a few weeks? Yeah. <laughs> like, like right now they're saying like hate speech right now, according to Twitch, is fair game. Fill your boots. In a couple of months, you won't be able to do racism while stood in front of a Confederate flag. But like, I mean, until then... <laughs> like, I get what they're going for here, which is we're trying to give a grace period so that behaviour that is no longer acceptable, that you have time to find out that that's the case before getting a ban. I, I can see what the corporate thinking was, but... Two months warning of, mm, please stop being racist. Like, two months. You can yeah. have a couple of months of just get it out your system, but. Who needs two months to think to themselves, oh, advocating for genocide on Twitch might not be a good idea? Who needs two months to work that one out? Uh, so that's that. I think, I think that's us done for this week. Yes, that's enough of that nonsense. I mean, I can still. You know, and still spread the truth of QAnon on Twitch, though, right? I didn't see it explicitly in the list that you couldn't. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, there's a couple of pizza parlors in town. I need to take the fuck down. <laughs> All you can eat my ass. <laughs> I didn't even mean to say what I just said there, but, you know, also works. Laura. Yeah. <laughs> books and podcasts and videos. <laughs> yeah, those. Laura K. Buzz. Yeah. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube. 
Patreon, that's the one that pays the bills. Twitch stream, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 10pm UK, 5pm Eastern, 2pm Pacific. Every Friday I upload episodes of Accessibility, which is a show about accessibility and representation in the games industry. You should watch it, I'm very proud of that show. There's also books, Uncomfortable Labels, that's out now, it's about being an autistic trans woman and what that's, that's like to do. There's Things I Learned from Mario's Butt, which is a silly and serious coffee table book of illustrated video game characters character butt reviews. It's coming out February 4th, 2021. Physical backers, your copies should be well on their way to you, depending on what country you're in, they should be with you very soon. Ebook copies are going out Monday next week, I believe, as are audiobook copies. There's also Gender Euphoria, which is coming out June 10th, 2021. It's just a bunch of non-cis people telling their positive, gender-affirming, nice stories that we very much need right now. There's also podcasts. There's Pixel Squirt that don't know what's going on with that show right now because Pornhub doesn't exist so much yeah. right at the second, mm. which um, all of the epi- existing episodes of Pixel Squirt are inaccessible to the public, as are most of the content we would be covering, so uh, we're working out what to do about Pixel Squirt. But there are other shows. Queer and Pleasant Strangers, that's about not just video games, the other stuff that I consume, be it board games, TV, music, films, what have you. There's also... Dice Funk. It's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Every season's a self-contained story. I'm on seasons three, four, five, six, and seven with Conrad. Hey, that's right. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Conrad Zimmerman. And you can find me on Twitch, uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, starting at 2 p.m. Eastern. And next Wednesday, because that's, you know, we record this on Wednesday. Next Wednesday, so you'll know ahead of the next Wednesday, December 23rd, uh, we're going to have the whole Podquisition gang starting at 2 p.m. So we're going to play some pandemic to celebrate everybody getting together in the middle of the pandemic for Christmas. It will be fun, I promise. Uh, so come check that out, twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. You could also buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com or audiobooks at conradreads.com or just support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash fistsharkjim. You also have a Patreon, don't you? Yes, yes. Um, and just to let everyone know that if they were holding out for the Maggie action figure from the Evolve line, that's the video game Evolve, uh, that is down from $19.99 to $8.60. So that is Maggie. Uh, that's the Legacy Collection range of action figures. They also have... Hank, you can check me out, patreon.com slash jimquisition, and that's how you can support the show and everything. Uh, I also do Twitch streaming, uh, Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. We had Evil Uno from AEW um, and, and Twitch TV slash Evil Uno. Um, we had him on the, the stream on Monday. That was good. Also, keep an eye out um, at Cultaholic. I'll be on their Straight to Hell video sometime soon. This week, I hope. That'll do. That'll do. I've, I've got to get off anyway. Um, well, I've got to go buy these Hank and, and Maggie figures. Oh, there's a new Boston's favourite son. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's been quite a bit of new Boston's favourite son. So so check that out. Boston's favourite son on SoundCloud, iTunes, and, and all of that. Um, it's all right. It's good. Yeah. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.